we're going to open up our Bibles again, and this time turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. We are on page uh, 925, We began looking at this chapter last week. Remember, uh, Paul and Silas uh, set out on this secondary, uh, uh, second missionary journey of uh, Paul's, and uh, they uh, arrive in Macedonia, uh, God leads them uh, to uh, Macedonia, this call from the uh, a vision Paul has, and they arrive in the, uh, the city of Philippi in Macedonia, that's modern day uh, Greece. So we're going to continue uh, reading this morning from verse uh, 16, from verse 16. Acts chapter 16 beginning to read at verse 16. So reads God's sure word. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are this." disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received uh, this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns uh, to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly uh, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. 
And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, uh, saying the magistrates have sent to let you go. Uh, therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, uh, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates uh, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologised to them uh, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So read God's word. Let us uh, pray uh, together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation and thoughts of each of our hearts would truly be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do keep uh, that passage open in uh, your Bible this morning. As we look at Acts chapter 16 this morning, I want to remind us of the big picture that Luke, the author of this book, is seeking to paint for us. We've been making our way through this book of Acts, haven't we now, for quite a while. And as we look at the individual narratives and chapters and passages, week by week, it is easy for us to lose sight of the big storyline. In his uh, first volume, uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke's told us about how the, the Lord Jesus, how he was sent into the world by God, uh, attested to by God with mighty works and, and signs and wonders that God did through him. And then was in, in God's eternal plan, delivered up to be crucified by the Jewish leaders and the might of Rome. And that in his death, in the place of sinful men and women, Luke tells us in his gospel that the son with whom God is well pleased, he was wounded for our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. In suffering the penalty for sin, which is death, the Lord Jesus has defeated all of his enemies, all of our enemies. On the cross, the Lord Jesus has defeated sin. He's defeated Satan, defeated death. A victory for, for the Lord Jesus, so that it was not possible uh, for him to be held by death. God raising him victoriously uh, from death on the third day. His foes conquered. And the book of Acts is God proclaiming that good news. That we should know for certain, as Peter said in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Having been exalted as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords, the risen, exalted Lord Jesus now sits at God's right hand and has poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost upon his church 
so that he might continue his worldwide conquest, filling the earth with his rule as his gospel word is proclaimed by his spirit-empowered church. That's what Peter referred to on the day of Pentecost as he quoted King David from the Old Testament in, in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, the Lord God said to my Lord, the Lord Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's the story of Acts. That's what Jesus is doing through this book of Acts. He's sitting at God's right hand, working, working out his glorious purposes um, making his enemies his footstool, uh, bringing people in repentance and uh, faith to worship him. That's what we've seen on page after page. The victorious Lord Jesus, having once and for all defeated Satan on the cross, he is now raiding Satan's strongholds. He is setting willing slaves of Satan free. Bringing men and women, Jew, Gentile, to salvation, to life, to cleansing, uh, blessing, uh, adopting people into God's family as God's children through his word. The work that the exalted Lord Jesus Christ has called the Apostle Paul to minister in. Uh, recollecting uh, his Damascus Road experience, the Apostle Paul tells how the ascended Lord Jesus uh, said to him, I'm sending you to open the eyes of the Gentiles so that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. That story of the risen, exalted Lord Jesus, that story is continuing, not just to the end of the book of Acts, continuing this morning, isn't it? That's what I want to encourage us with this morning as the gospel comes to, to Philippi, a, a Greek Roman colony. The Lord Jesus is setting prisoners free from Satan's bounds in order to make servants, in order to make slaves of God. Three points I want us to see this morning. First of all, I want us to see how the Lord Jesus Christ frees slaves in order to make slaves. How the Lord Jesus frees slaves in order to make slaves. In Acts 16, uh, we've seen already, haven't we, last week, how the Lord Jesus opened up the heart of Lydia, that uh, a seller of purple uh, cloth. At the end of uh, Acts chapter 16, we're told about that jailer that we read of and his family, how they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. And in between Lydia at the beginning of the chapter and uh, the jailer at the end of the chapter, we meet this servant, this slave girl who's demon possessed. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling we can't imagine can we this woman's awful experience she is enslaved by her owners who simply see her as a, a means of, of financial gain 
But more fundamentally, this woman is, is a slave of this evil spirit. She and, and her owners are, are both alike under Satan's power. Satan is seeking to gain by this woman. Uh, so we might think it's a, it's a very odd thing that the, the demon, what well, the demon causes her to do. I don't know whether you noticed that as we read in verse 17. The, the slave girl, she calls out following Paul, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Is that odd? It sounds, doesn't it, like this demon-possessed woman is, is pointing other people to, to, to gospel ministers who are speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to grasp, don't we, that when this woman cries out, servants of the Most High God, who would the people in Philippi have thought of? Not the Lord Jesus. They would have thought of Zeus. She's a, a slave girl, we're told, who had a spirit of uh, divin, uh, divination. Literally, that spirit of divination is a spirit of a python. That's the actual Greek. It's a reference to the mythical snake that guarded the temple of Apollo. And she's pointing uh, to uh, people, to Paul and Silas. She's doing that because Satan is not just a liar... He's also a deceptive, a deceitful liar. She's a spiritual woman. Paul and Silas are spiritual men. Zeus and Jesus and Apollos, it's all the same thing. Her owners, they don't seem to try to stop her crying out, do they? Likely they think, well, you know what, Paul and Silas, they may be able to bring us gain as well with the message that they're bringing. If we can only get them on board... Oh, Satan's lies, they're not always, in fact, they're very rarely obvious to us, are they? Here's a desperate woman, captivated by Satan, used to confuse the gospel, to make Jesus indistinct from worthless idols, to make the truth of the gospel and the lies of Satan all seem to be one. Oh, the, the apostle Paul could free her from her slavery. But as we saw last week, what Paul's most passionate to do, he himself is powerless to do. Powerless to loosen Satan's chains, to, to bring her to Christ. Paul can't do that. Silas can't do that. But the Lord Jesus Christ can. So verse 18, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. The Lord Jesus frees this girl from Satan's chains to bring her to himself. You know, when Jesus frees people from Satan's power and domain... He doesn't leave people in a spiritual no-man's land to, to, to fend for themselves. He doesn't leave them in a, in a neutral place. No, no, he draws us to himself. All of us, the good, the bad, the respectable, the undesirables, all of us, the religious and the irreligious, ultimately we are either under Satan's reign 
uh, willfully living as slaves of Satan, or by God's grace, were, we've been delivered from Satan's bonds by the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. All of us, either slaves of Satan or have been freed, delivered by the, long Jesus Christ, by the Lord Jesus to, to belong to him. This demon slave, this demon possessed slave girl, her owners, the magistrates and the rulers of Philippi, Lydia, the jailer, they're all in need of salvation. They're all in need of the deliverance that Jesus alone has the power to bring. But what I want us to grasp this morning, what I want us to see is that when Jesus frees us from Satan's bonds, he draws us to himself to belong to him. Yes, he brings us into God's family, sons and daughters of the living God. But also, Jesus brings us to be not only uh, the children of God, servants of God, but his slaves who belong to him. Jesus frees slaves of Satan in order to make slaves. He, he is both saviour and he is Lord. He is our master. Those who live with King Jesus as our master, we're not free, are we, to, to do what we want. Joyfully, we're to submit to his good and his perfect will in all things. This uh, slave girl, she calls out uh, there, doesn't she? Uh, uh, these men are servants of the most high God, verse 17. Literally, it's these men are slaves of the most high God. She's a slave, but so are Paul and Silas. Throughout the New Testament, Paul, he refers to himself as a slave, a bond slave of the Lord Jesus. Often our Bibles translate the word uh, that is slave as a servant, but I do think that's misleading. Paul is not his own. Paul cannot knock off at five o'clock and go about his own business after having worked for Jesus uh, all day. No, no. Paul belongs to Jesus. He's Jesus' possession. He's Christ's slave. Paul uh, is owned by the Lord Jesus to do with however Christ desires. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul speaks of Christ leading him in, in, in triumphal procession. Christ, uh, the, the, the victorious king, he's uh, defeated his enemies on the cross. And now the risen Christ is, is the victorious king uh, processing uh, through the world. And where's Paul? Paul is in the procession behind the Lord Jesus. Someone whom Christ has freed from Satan's power. Uh, someone who is now Christ's enslaved prisoner, uh, enslaved to do Christ's service, a trophy of Christ's victory over Satan on the cross. And I think we see something of this in the narrative here. You see, it is often we wonder, well, do we have a choice of doing what Jesus uh, calls us to do? Is it just that when we feel like it, we can do what Jesus wants us to do as his people? But, but no, we are, we are completely owned by Christ. We therefore, as his people, belong to him to do as he commands. Uh, these men who own this slave girl, they, they, uh, as the Lord Jesus frees her from 
her slavery uh, to, to, to Satan. These men, they've lost all of their hope, haven't they, of, getting, of gaining through this girl. Christ has, has released her. And so these, these men, they first accost and then they attack Paul and Silas. They bring them to the magistrates who, under the pressure of the, the madness of the crowds, they, they strip and beat them. They, they, they throw them into this top security prison right at the heart of the, uh, the, the, the prison complex and they put them in stocks. Paul is bound in chains. Paul is a prisoner of Christ as he describes himself elsewhere. And then, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas, they are singing, they are praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They are singing praises to God. They are happy to be wherever their master, Jesus, wants them. And we know that because when the earthquake strikes, verse 26, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, uh, what, do we, what are we told? Paul and Silas, they immediately got up. They, they ran as quickly as they could out of the, uh, the, the, the prison and they escaped and they were free. And that's exactly what we'd expect to happen, isn't it? It's what the, the, the jailer presumes has happened as he's ready to take his own life. He knows if prisoners have, ex have escaped, it'll be on his head. He's responsible. But it wasn't their chains it wasn't the cell door that bound Paul and Silas. No, no, they are captives of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're his slaves to do as he wills. And though they could therefore have got up and left, they, they remain here. Why? Well, because, as we said last week, Paul is consumed with the Lord Jesus and his church. Paul is con uh, passionate about seeking people, uh, seeing people rather, come to know his Lord, his master, the Lord Jesus. Paul knows he's, he's powerless himself to save any. And yes, he's, he's convinced that his owner, his master, is powerful to save. Passionate about doing his master's will. Far more passionate about uh, obeying his master than being concerned with his own freedom. Often on a Sunday morning, we uh, have said together that first uh, question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? The answer, that I am with my body and soul in life and death, that I am not my own, but belong unto my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. Christian, this morning, we belong to Christ, our good and gracious master. We belong to a master who has given his own life for us that we might belong to him as his possession, delivered from Satan's grasp to be bound to Jesus, to give our lives for him who has laid down his life for us. I belong to King Jesus. I wonder whether we can say that, all of us, this morning. I am not my own, I am his. And that is not a bad, that is a glorious thing. In a society where being true to myself is king, where only I'm able to determine who I am. Friend, I wonder this morning... Uh, whether as people see us is it obvious I am not my own but I belong 
to Jesus Christ, my saviour. I'm his to do with as he pleases. Is that obvious in, in your life, in my life? It's why, I think briefly, uh, Paul uses his right here to get a very public apology and release from prison. You notice that at the end of the passage, the, the magistrates, they send their officers, in, officers into, the, into the, uh, the, the jail complex in the morning to quietly release Paul and Silas. But Paul says, no, 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 we're not going to do this in secret. I want this. I want you to release me very publicly. We might think, well, why on earth does Paul want things to happen in that way? Is it that Paul's pride has been uh, hurt and he wants to, to justify his name? Oh, there's uh, nothing that Paul has done wrong. How, uh, how dare you do that to me? But it's not that, is it? Paul uses his rights as a Roman citizen here to, to pave the way for, for freedom for the gospel in Philippi. He wants to ensure that the magistrates, that they're not heavy-handed with this weak little fledgling church in Philippi. And Paul will use everything he is and has in order to accomplish his master's work. The exalted Lord Jesus, who was working back then in Philippi, he is working still this morning. He is setting captives free from Satan's domain through the gospel of his death and resurrection, that he might draw us to himself, our gracious, our good, just, loving master, that we might say, as he once said, O Lord, not my will, but yours be done, in me and through me. See then how Jesus sets uh, slaves free in order to enslave them. But secondly, see those people whom Jesus welcomes as his people. See those whom Jesus welcomes to belong to him. In the verses that we read, we, we hear of this slave girl and we hear of the jailer. We previously, last week, uh, we, we thought of Lydia, didn't we? That wealthy uh, woman, that seller of purple. She wasn't from Philippi, we're told. She's from Thyatira in Asia Minor. It was a different region, not just a different city. She was a, an immigrant in the city of Philippi. Jesus is freeing people to belong to him as slaves from every nation, from every nation without borders. We've seen this, haven't we, as a, as a running theme throughout this book of Acts, calling to himself outsiders, calling the rich, calling a demon-possessed slave girl owned by others for gain in the service of demons. Surely somebody like her, they can't be saved. And yet Jesus frees her. A rich woman, an immigrant, a woman, a native Oh, a woman so poor, she doesn't even belong to herself. She's a slave and a jailer. Just as most uh, private security firms today, uh, they hire uh, those who are the best, don't they? They hire ex-military, ex-army people uh, to, um, uh, to, to work in security. It was likely the same kind of thing back then. This jailer likely to be an, an, an ex-Roman uh, soldier. 
And yet here are these three people, along with Lydia and the jailer's families, their households, three different nationalities, three different cultures, three different uh, classes of people. And here they are, all united in the Lord Jesus Christ, all united in this small little fledgling church. A church that would, uh, where we, we learn elsewhere, would go on to be so active in supporting Paul as he seeks to, to take the gospel to, to, to Rome, the heart of the, the, the empire. And yet it's such a mixed bag of people, isn't it, that Jesus has rescued from Satan's grasp. At the end of the chapter, we're told that before Paul and Silas leave Philippi, they visit Lydia's home, likely to have been a, a large home, because she's a wealthy woman. Final words of the chapter, when they had seen the brothers, uh, when they had seen the believers, uh, they encouraged them to depart, uh, and, and they departed. There's this, this church meeting in Lydia's home. And who's in the congregation in this church? Well, there's Lydia and her household. There's a, a girl freed from slavery, freed from uh, demon possession. There's an ex-Roman uh, soldier, jailer, and his family. No type of person is excluded from this gathering. Uh, the church of the Lord Jesus is just so different from the world around us, isn't it? Our world is so divided. There's so much bad feeling between one group and another. And it was the same in Philippi. Uh, that's what the world is like. In, in verse 20, uh, we read that the uh, complaint uh, that the owners of the slave girl make is that these men, Paul and Silas, are Jews and they're disturbing our city. Uh, these men, they're coming in, they're, they're destroying our way of life. They're destroying our Roman way of life. Uh, them and us, distinctions put above the gospel. One race put against another, one class put against another. Sins of partiality, as James calls them in the New Testament. Favouritism. Very easy, isn't it, to, to miss partiality in ourselves? To, to overlook partiality in ourselves, but to be able to see it in others? I remember uh, once, a uh, long time ago, preaching as a, uh, as a visitor in a, a church. Preaching about how our prejudices can get in the way of the gospel. After the service, a man came up to me. The first person to come up to, to me said, oh, I know exactly what you mean about prejudices. I hate scousers. I loathe them. And yet somehow I managed to listen to much of what you had to say this morning. And uh, I, I was never asked uh, to preach there again. But, but look at this young church in Philippi. Look who it is Jesus is rescuing from the clutches of Satan, calling into his church to belong to him. Just look at them. Wherever you're from, whatever class, whatever social strata, however you identify yourself, your gender, ideology, the further the gospel spreads from Jerusalem, the more diverse the church of the Lord Jesus gets. Because the Lord Jesus, he shows no partiality. When Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, when he's writing to those Jesus has delivered from Satan's grasp in Corinth, Paul says these words in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous, they will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, uh, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. So, with what Paul said there, maybe there are those who can't, who we shouldn't expect the exalted Lord Jesus to welcome into his uh, church. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those too far gone, those too sinful, too far away from God's salvation. Is that what Paul is saying? No, no, what does Paul go on to say? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And such were some of you. Just what some of you once were. These are the people, the unrighteous, whom Christ is delivering from damnation, from Satan's grasp. Oh yes, we're rightly to speak against sin. We're not to gloss over sin. But it is the, the, the rich, respectable, religious woman. It is the working class jailer with his maybe foul language. It's the teenage girl who's been trafficked. It's the sexually perverted. It's the illegal immigrant. It's the con men, the, the drug takers and the drug sellers. It's the Islamic fundamentalists. It's those who are, seem so securely bound by Satan's grasp, by Satan's chains. It is those whom the Lord Jesus is delivering to himself. Those whom the Lord Jesus is calling to himself in his gospel. And such were some of you, says Paul. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Oh, friends, could it be that those people that you and I may be attempted to look down on? Those whose views, those whose behavior uh, we despise. Maybe those whom, whose opinions we shield our children from. And friends, the Lord Jesus is, is plucking them along with, with some of us who are respectable, who are religious people, plucking us as brands from the burning to wash us clean in his blood and present us holy, blameless before our God. Oh, the Lord Jesus, he wants you and me to count it a privilege to sit down in his church next to those who were such as Paulists to eat and to drink the body and blood of the Lord Jesus together as he's drawn us to himself. Just see here who it is Jesus welcomes to belong to him. I wonder as we think of those we look out, we think, oh, who is it the Lord Jesus needs to work and needs to change? I wonder whether it's not just those outside. I wonder whether it's in our hearts as well to remove our prejudices, to remove our favoritism. Well, finally, briefly, see here how Jesus changes those who belong to him, how Jesus changes those who belong to him. What does that look like in this chapter? We're told in verse 15, just prior to the chapter, the, the passage we read, the Lord opens Lydia's heart, and after she was baptized, and her host, household as well, she urged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She wouldn't let us go without doing us good, uh, Luke is saying. 
From what she had, she then gives to those who are in need. Uh, then there's this woman caught in the most degrading slavery, freed by Jesus in such a way that she's now no longer of any use to those who want to oppress her. And then there's the jailer. Oh, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And it's a glorious, it's a simple, clear summary of the gospel uh, news, isn't it? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You uh, and anyone in your household who believes similarly. No doubt Paul and Silas, they spoke much about the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. No doubt the, uh, the, the, the jailer had all kinds of questions. But Jesus changed his life. And verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and he was baptised at once, he and all his family. There's this jailer, he's cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. He's washed clean of his sins. That's what by baptism points to, isn't it? And how does the jailer respond? He now washes the wounds that he helped to inflict as he threw Paul and Silas into the deepest cell, into the, uh, fixed them in the stocks. Cleansed by Christ, this man, this man lays down his rod and washes the feet of those he once harmed. He brought them, we're told, into his house. He set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And it's the same with Lydia. It's this reciprocal work of God. God brings people into his home and they open their homes for the gospel. That's what slaves of King Jesus look like. Having received from Christ, they give. Changed into his likeness. We live in a society, don't we, where we've got shortages of one thing more than anything else. It isn't petrol, it's not bread, it's not meat shortages. Shortages of forgiveness. A whole sections of our society waiting eagerly to cancel those that they disagree with. A demand for constant atonement to be made for things that have been said and done in the past while denying the possibility of forgiveness. People must pay and they must feel as though they're paying. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus tells us, yes, atonement for sin, it, it must be made. Atonement for wrongdoing must be made, more than we could ever realise. Wrongs must be righted. Oh, but in Christ's kingdom, in the kingdom that he is building, there's no cancel culture. Uh, there's no um, uh, blocking somebody uh, out of the kingdom. For wrongs past. Christ delivers sin, sinners from the bonds of sin and Satan. Not to erase them, but to wash them clean. We can be forgiven because Christ has taken our sin upon himself. He's borne our guilt. He's paid the punishment for our sin. So that Satan no longer has anything to accuse me with. So that my God can welcome me as forgiven, as cleansed 
by the blood of his son. A, a demonic slave girl, a wealthy immigrant, a Roman soldier. And who else this morning? You? Me? I wonder whether we rejoice with these women, with this man, in being co-bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you find yourself in church every Sunday morning. What must you do to be saved? Whoever you are, whatever background, whatever your sin, the exalted Lord Jesus is freeing people from Satan's grasp. And I've no power to save you. And nobody else in this room has got power to save you. Oh, but the Lord Jesus, exalted, ruling at his Father's side, has been given all power and authority in heaven and on earth. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved.